Section 17 of History of New England, 1630-1649. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of New England, 1630-1649, by John Winthrop. Section 17, 1643, Part 2. Our supplies from England failing much, men began to look about them and fell to a manufacture of cotton, whereof we had store from Barbados, and of hemp and flax, wherein Rowley, to their great commendation, exceeded all other towns. The governor acquainted the court with a letter he received from Mr. Wheelwright, to entreat the favor of the court that he might have leave to come into the bay upon a special occasions, which was readily granted him for fourteen days, whereupon he came and spake with the verse of the elders, and gave them such satisfaction as they intended to intercede with the court for the release of his banishment. Seymour, 344. Footnote i.e. under may sixteen forty four in footnote sacco ninoco and pumham two sachems near providence having under them between two and three hundred men finding themselves overborne by Miantunema, the sachem of narangasat and gorton and his company who had so prevailed with Miantunema as he forced one of them to join with him in setting his hand or mark to a writing whereby a part of his land was sold to gorton and his company for which Miantunema received a price but the other would not receive that which was for his part alleging that he did not intend to sell his land though through fear of Miantunema he had put his mark to the writing they came to our governor and by benedict arnold footnote benedict arnold long a trusted and useful man especially helpful for his knowledge of indian tongues and his faculty for dealing with the tribes afterward eleven times governor of rhode island the area described in the deed of january twelfth sixteen forty two sixteen forty three was about equivalent to that of the present townships of Warwick and Coventry, R.I., in footnote. Their interpreter did desire we would receive them under our government, and brought withal a small present of wampum, about ten fathom. The governor gave them encouragement, but referred them to the court, and received their present, intending to return it them again, if the court could not accord it to them, but at the present he acquainted another of the magistrates with it so it was agreed and they wrote to gorton and his company to let them know what the sachems had complained of and how they had tendered themselves to come under our jurisdiction and therefore if they had anything to allege against it they should come or send to our next court we sent also to miantunema to signify the same to him whereupon in the beginning of the court miantunema came to boston and being demanded an open court before diverse of his own men and kutchemekin and other indians whether he had any interest in the said two sachems as his subjects he could prove none Guchamican also in his presence affirmed that he had no interest in them, but they were as free sachems as himself. Only because he was a great sachem, they had sometimes sent him presents, and aided him in his war against the Quats. And Benedict Arnold affirmed, partly upon his own knowledge, and partly upon the relation of diverse Indians of those parts, that the Indians belonging to these sachems did usually pay their deerskins, or char tribute belonging to this chief sachem, always to them, and never to Miantunema, or any other sachem of Narangasep, which Miantunema could not contradict. Whereupon it was referred to the governor and some other of the magistrates and deputies to send for the two sachems after the court, and to treat with them about their receiving end to us. But before this, Gorton and his company, twelve in number, sent a writing to our court of four sheets of paper, full of reproaches against our magistrates, elders, and churches, of familistical and absurd opinions, and therein they justified their purchase of the sachem's land, and professed to maintain it to the death. They sent us word also after, as Benedict Arnold reported to us, that if we sent men against them, they were ready to meet us, being assured of victory from God, etc. 
Whereupon the court sent two of the deputies to speak with them to see whether they would own that writing which was subscribed by them all. Whereupon the court sent two of the deputies to speak with them to see whether they would own that writing which was subscribed by them all. When they came, they with much difficulty came to find out Gorton and two or three more of them, and upon conference they did own and justify the said writing. They spake also with the two sachems, as they had commission, and giving them to understand upon what terms they must be received under us. They found them very pliable to all, and opening to them the Ten Commandments, they received this answer, which I have set down as the commissioners took it in writing from their mouths. 1. Question. Whether they would worship the true God that made heaven and earth, and not blaspheme him? Answer. We, we desire to speak reverently of Englishmen's God, and not to speak evil of him, because we see that Englishmen's God doth better for them than other gods do for others. 2. That they should not swear falsely. Answer. We never knew what swearing or an oath was. Third, not to do any unnecessary work on the Lord's day within the gates of proper towns. Answer, it is a small thing for us to rest on that day, for we have not much to do any day, and therefore we will forbear on that day. Fourth, to honor their parents and superiors. Answer, it is our custom so to do, for inferiors to be subject to superiors, for if we complain to the governor of the Massachusetts that we have wrong, if they tell us we lie, we shall willingly bear it. Fifth, not to kill any man, but upon just cause and just authority. Answer. It is good, and we desire so to do. 6. 7. Not to commit fornication, adultery, bestiality, etc. Answer. Though fornication and adultery be committed among us, yet we allow it not, but judge it evil, so the same we judge of stealing. 8. For lying, they say it is an evil, and shall not allow it. Ninth. Whether you will suffer your children to read God's word, that they may have knowledge of the true God, and to worship him in his own way. Answer. As opportunity serveth by the English coming amongst us, we desire to learn their manners. After the court, the governor, etc., sent for them, and they came to Boston at the day appointed, viz. the 22nd of the 4th month, June, and a form of submission being drawn up, and they being by Benedict Arnold, their neighbor and interpreter, who spake their language readily, made to understand every particular in the presence of diverse of the elders and many others they freely subscribed their submission as it here followeth verbatim being told that we did not receive them in as confederates but as subjects they answered that they were so little in respect of us as they could expect no other so they dined in the same room with the governor but at a table by themselves and having much countenance showed them all by present and being told that they and their men should be always welcome to the english provided they brought a note from benedict arnold that we might know them from other Indians, and having some small things bestowed upon them by the governor, they departed joyful and well satisfied. We looked at it as a fruit of our prayers, and the first fruit of our hopes, that the example would bring in others, and that the Lord was by this means making a way to bring them to civility, and so to conversion to the knowledge and embracing of the gospel in his due time. Soon after their departure, we took order that me and Tenema and the English in those parts should have notice of their submission to us, that they might refrain from doing them injury. Their submission was as followeth. This writing is to testify that we, Pumham, Sachem of Shawamak, and Sacanonico, Sachem of Patuxet, etc., have and by these presents do, voluntarily and without any constrained persuasion, but of our own free motion, put ourselves, our subjects, lands and estates under the government and jurisdiction of the Massachusetts, to be governed and protected by them, according to their just laws and orders, so far as we shall be made capable of understanding them, and we do promise for ourselves and our subjects and all our posterity to be true and faithful to the said government in aiding to the maintenance thereof to our best ability and from time to time to give speedy notice of any conspiracy attempt or evil intention 
of any which we shall know or hear of against the same and we do promise to be willing from time to time to be instructed in the knowledge and worship of god in witness thereof etc footnote these indian lands at shawomet and patuxet lay south of providence and were very much beyond the bounds of the massachusetts charter we have here an unusual detail a specimen of the massachusetts treatment of the indians in footnote the lady moody a wise and anciently religious woman being taken with the air of denying baptism to infants was dealt with all by many of the elders and others and admonished by the church of salem whereof she was a member but persisting still and to avoid further trouble etc she removed to the dutch against the advice of all her friends many others infected with anabaptism removed thither also she was after excommunicated footnote the lady deborah moody a person highly connected occupied for a time the estate at sagas once owned by humphrey she acquired influence in the parts to which she immigrated and rendered help to peter stuyvesant in footnote five july fifth there arose a sudden gust at northwest so violent for half an hour as it blew down multitudes of trees it lifted up their meeting-house at newbury the people being in it it darkened the air with dust yet through god's great mercy it did no hurt but killed only one indian with the fall of a tree it was straight between lind and hampton second here arrived one mr carman master of the ship called blank of eighty tons he went from new haven and timber december last laden with clapboards for the canaries being earnestly commended to the lord's protection by the church there at the island of palma he was set upon by a turkish pirate of three hundred tons and twenty-six pieces of ordnance and two hundred men he fought with her three hours having but twenty men and but seven pieces of ordnance that he could use and his muskets were unserviceable with rust the turk lay across his hoss so he was forced to shoot through his own hoodings and by these shot killed many turks then the turk lay by his side and boarded him with near a hundred men and cut all his ropes etc but his shot having killed the captain of the turkish ship and broken his tiller the turk took in his own ensign and fell off from him but in such haste as he left about fifty of his men aboard him then the master and some of his men came up and fought with those fifty hand to hand and slew so many of them as the rest leaped overboard the master had many wounds on his head and body and diverse of his men were wounded yet but one slain so with much difficulty he got to the island being in view thereof where he was very courteously entertained and supplied with whatsoever he wanted continuation about latour the governor with the advice of some of the magistrates and elders wrote a letter to d'alny taking occasion in answer to his letter in ninebur november last to this effect viz whereas he found by the arrest he sent last autumn that latour was under displeasure and censure in france thereupon we intended to have no further to do with him than by way of commerce which is allowed and if he had made prize of any of our vessels in that way as he threatened we should have righted ourselves so well as we could without injury to himself or just offence to his majesty of france whom we did honour as a great and mighty prince and should endeavour always to behave ourselves towards his majesty and all his subjects as became us etc but latour coming now to us and acquainting us how it was with him etc and here mentioning the vice-admiral's commission and the letters etc though we thought not fit to give him aid as being unwilling to intermeddle in the wars of any of our neighbours yet considering his urgent distress we could not in christianity or humanity deny him liberty to hire for his money any ships in our harbour either such as came to us out of england or others and whereas some of our people were willing to go along with him though without any commission from us we had charged them to labour by all means to bring matters to a reconciliation etc that they should be assured that if they should do or attempt anything against the rules of justice and good neighbourhood they must be accountable therefore unto us at their return footnote 
Savage thinks the inexpedient and calamitous policy of Winthrop as regards Latour referable to pressure brought to bear upon him by the Boston merchants who saw a chance to make money out of Frenchmen. In footnote. Beside the former arguments, there came sense to Boston one Mr. Hook, a godly gentleman and a deputy of the court for Salisbury, who related of the good usage and great courtesy which Latour had showed to himself and other passengers, who were landed at a fort about nine years since as they came from England, and how the ship leaving them there, and only a small shallop to bring them to these parts, and a dangerous bay of twelve leagues to be passed over, he would not suffer them to depart before he had provided his own pinnace to transport them and whereas he was charged to have killed two englishmen at machias not far from his fort and to have taken away their goods to the value of five hundred pounds mr vines of sacco who was part owner of the goods and principal trader etc being present with latour the governor heard the cause between them which was thus mr vines being in a pinnace trading in those parts latour met him in another pinnace and bought so many of his commodities as mr vines received then of him four hundred skins and although some of Mr. Vines, his company, had abused Latour, whereupon he had made them prisoners in his pinnace, yet at Mr. Vines' entreaty he discharged them with grave and good counsel, and acquainted Mr. Vines with his commission to make prize of all such as should come to trade in those parts, and thereupon desired him peaceably to forbear, etc., yet at his request he gave him leave to trade the goods he had left in his way home, so as he did not fortify or build in any place within his commission, which he said he could not answer it if he should suffer it, whereupon they parted friendly. Mr. Vines landed his goods at Machias, and there set up a small wigwam, and left five men and two murderers, footnote, murderers were small cannon, in footnote, to defend it, and a shallop, and so returned home. Two days after Latour comes, and casting anchor before the place, one of Mr. Vines' men came on board his pinnace, and while they were in parley, four of Latour his men went on shore. One of the four which were in the house, seeing them, gave fire to a murderer, but at not taking fire he called to his fellow to give fire to the other murderer which he was going to do the four french retreated and one of their muskets went off latour saith it was by accident and that the shot went through one of his fellow's clothes but mr vines could say nothing to that it killed two of the men on shore which latour then professed himself innocent of and very sorry for and said further that the five men were at that time all drunk and not unlikely having store of wine and strong water for had they been sober they would not have given fire upon such as they had conversed friendly with but two days before, without one spitting them stand or asking them wherefore they came. After this, Latour coming to the house and finding some of his own goods, though of no great value, which had a little before been taken out of his fort at St. John's by the Scotch and some English of Virginia, when they plundered all his goods to a great value and abused his men, he seized the three men and the goods and sent them into France according to his commission, where the men were discharged with the goods adjudged lawful prize mr vines did not contradict any of this but only that he did not build or fortify at machias but only set up a shelter for his men and goods for the value of the goods mr vines showed an invoice which came to three or four hundred pounds but latour said he had another under the men's hands that were there which came not to half so much in conclusion he promised he would refer the class to judgment and if it should be found that he had done them wrong he would make satisfaction five july fourteenth in the evening latour took ship the governor and diverse of the chief of the town accompanying him to his boat there went with him four of our ships and a pinnace he hired them for two months the chiefest which had sixteen pieces of ordnance at two hundred pounds a month yet she was of but a hundred tons but very well manned and fitted for fight and the rest proportionable the owners took only his own security for their pay 
he entertained also about seventy land soldiers volunteers at forty shillings per month a man but he paid them somewhat in hand of the two friars which came in the ship the one was a very learned acute man diverse of our elders who had conferenced with him reported so of him they came not into the town lest they should give offence but once being brought by some to see mr cotton and confer with him and when they came to depart the chief came to take leave of the governor and the two elders of boston and showed himself very thankful for the courtesy they found among us in the afternoon they set sail from long island the wind north and west and went out at broad sound at half flood where no ships of such burthen have gone out before or not more than one three heirs the governor etc committed in managing this business first in giving latour an answer so suddenly the very next day after his arrival second in not advising with any of the elders as their manner was in matters of less consequence third in not calling upon god as they were wont to do in all public affairs before they felt a consultation etc the occasions of these errors were first their earnest desire to dispatch him away and conceiving at first that they should have given him the same answer they gave his lieutenant the last year for they had not then seen the vice-admiral's commission second not then conceiving any need of counsel the elders never came into the governor's thoughts third latour and many of the french coming into them at first meeting and some taking occasion to fall in parley with them there did not appear then a fit opportunity for so solemn an action as calling upon god being in the midst of their business before they were aware of it but this fault hath been many times found in the governor to be over sudden in his resolutions for although the course were both warrantable and safe yet it had beseemed men of wisdom and gravity to have proceeded with more deliberation and further advice those about ipswich etc took great offence at these proceedings so as three of the magistrates and the elders of ipswich and raleigh with mr nathaniel ward wrote a letter to the governor in assistance in the bay and to the elders here protesting against the proceedings and that they would be innocent of all the evil which might ensue etc with diverse arguments against it whereof some were weighty but not to the matter for they supposed we had engaged the country in a war as if we had permitted our ships etc to fight with the alney whereas we only permitted them to be hired by latour to conduct him home the governor made answer to this protestation so did mr dudley and the pastor of boston footnote the papers in the controversy are preserved in hutchinson collection of papers one fifteen to one thirty four pages one twenty nine to one forty nine of the prince society edition in footnote fifth july letters came to our governor from mr haynes governor at hartford certifying of a war begun between ancus sachem of mohegan and sequassen sachem upon connecticut and that upon ancus's complaint of the others assaulting him etc he sent for sequassen and endeavored to make them friends but sequassen chose rather to have war so they were forced to leave them to themselves promising to be aiding to neither etc soon after ancus set upon sequassen and killed seven or eight of his men wounded thirteen burnt his wigwams and carried away the booty upon this miantenema being allied to sequassen sent to mr haynes to complain of ancus he answered that the english had no hand in it nor would encourage them etc miantenema gave notice hereof also to our governor by two of our neighbor indians who had been with him and he was very desirous to know if we would not be offended if he made war upon ancus our governor answered if ancus had done him or his friends wrong and would not give satisfaction we should leave him to take his own course fifth july twenty second a dutch sloop arrived with letters in latin signed by the secretary there in the name and by the command of the governor and senate directed to the governor and senate of u p footnote united providences in footnote of new england wherein first he congratulates our late confederation 
Then he complains of unsurfable wrongs done to their people upon Connecticut, more of late than formerly, and of misinformation given by some of ours to the state's ambassador in London, and desired to know by a categorical answer whether we will aid or desert them, meaning of Hartford, that so they may know their friends from their enemies, etc. The governor appointed a meeting of some of the next magistrates on the second day next, but the rain hindered some of them. It was put off to the fifth day. Here arrived a bark of the Earl of Warwick from Turinadado. She came for people and provisions, but our people, being well informed of the state of those places, were now become wiser and could stay here where they were in better condition than they could be in those parts. So he altered his design and went toward Canada, and by the way guarded home a pinnace of Latours which came hither for provisions. The wife of one blank hat, of whom mention was made before, being cast out of the church of Boston, the Lord was pleased so to honor his own ordinance, that whereas before no means could prevail with her either to reclaim her from her wicked and blasphemous courses and speeches, etc., or to bring her to frequent the means, within a few weeks after her casting out she came to see her sin and lay it to heart, and to frequent the means, and so was brought to such manifestation of repentance and a sound mind as the church received her in again. The day appointed for considering of the letter from the Dutch proved again so wet as but few met, and of those some would have another day appointed, and all the magistrates to be called to it. But others thought it not fit, both in regard the messenger hasted away, and also for that no direct answer could be returned without a general court. At length advising with some of the elders who were at hand, and some of the deputies, we returned answer to this fact, in the name of the governor only, viz., after gratulation, etc., of their friendly respect, and our earnest desire of the continuance of that good correspondency, which hath been between themselves and us ever since our arrival in these parts, that our chief counsel, to whom their letters were directed, being far dispersed, etc., he was necessitated, with the advice of some other of the magistrates, to return this answer to them for the present, being rather a declaration of our own conceptions than the determination of our chiefest authority, from which they should receive further answer in time convenient. We declared our grief for the difference between them and our brethren of Hartford, which we conceive might be composed by arbiters, either in England or Holland or here, that by our confederation we were bound to seek the good and safety of each other as our own, which we hoped would not hinder the continuance of that amity and correspondency between themselves and us, and that the ground of their difference, being only for a small parcel of land, was a matter of so little value in this vast continent, as was not worthy to cause a breach between two people so nearly related both in profession of the same protestant religion and otherwise therefore we would seriously request them as we would do also the others that until the justice of the cause were decided by one of the ways before named there might be abstinence on both sides from injury and provocation and if any should happen on their part that it might be duly examined and we were assured they being a people fearing god they durst not allow themselves in any unrighteous course they should receive equal satisfaction. See more, page, blank. We received news of a great defeat given the Narangaskets by Ankets, and of fifteen Dutch slain by the Indians, and much beaver taken, and of Mr. Lamberton, etc. 6. August. Ankes, being provoked by Sequassen, a sachem of Connecticut, who would not be persuaded by the magistrates there to a reconciliation, made war upon him, and slew diverse of his men and burnt his wigwams, whereupon Miantanama, being his kinsman, took offence against Ancus, and went with near a thousand men, and set upon Ancus before he could be provided for defence, for he had not then with him above three or four hundred men. But it pleased God to give Ancus the victory, after he had killed about thirty of the Narangasets and wounded many more, 
and among these two of Canonicus's sons and a brother of Miantenema who fled. But having on a coat of mail, he was evilly overtaken, which two of his captains perceiving, they laid hold on him and carried him to Ancus, thereby hoping to procure their own pardon. But so soon as they came to Ancus, he slew them presently. And Miantenema, standing mute, he demanded of him why he would not speak. If you had taken me, saith he, I would have besought you for my life. The news of Miantenema's captivity coming to Providence, Gorton and his company, who had bought of him the lands belonging to the sachems who were come under our jurisdiction, wrote a letter to Ancus, willing him to deliver their friend Miantenema, and threatened him with the power of the English if he refused, and they sent their letter in the name of the governor of Massachusetts. Upon this, Ancus carries Miantenema to Hartford to take advice of the magistrates there, and at Miantenema's earnest entreaty he left him with them, yet as a prisoner. They kept him under guard, but used him various courteously, and so he continued till the commissioners of the United Colonies met at Boston, who, taking into serious consideration what was safest and best to be done, were all of opinion that it would not be safe to set him at liberty, neither had we sufficient ground for us to put him to death. In this difficulty we called in five of the most judicious elders, it being in the time of the General Assembly of the Elders, and propounding the case to them, they all agreed that he ought to be put to death. Upon this concurrence we enjoined secrecy to ourselves and them, lest if it should come to the notice of the Narangasets they might set upon the commissioners, etc., in their return, to take some of them to redeem him, as Miantenema himself had told Mr. Haynes had been in consultation amongst them and agreed that, upon the return of the commissioners to Hartford, they should send for Ancus and tell him our determination, that Miantenema should be delivered to him again, and he should put him to death as soon as he came within his own jurisdiction, and that two English should go along with him to see the execution, and that if any Indians should invade him for it, we would send men to defend him. If Ancus should refuse to do it, then Miantenema should be sent in a penance to Boston, there to be kept until further consideration." The reasons of this proceeding with him were these. First, it was now clearly discovered to us that there was a general conspiracy among the Indians to cut off all the English, and that Miantenemo was the head and contriver of it. Second, he was of a turbulent and proud spirit, and would never be at rest. Third, although he had promised us in the open court to send the Bequad to Ancus, who had shot him in the arm with intent to have killed him, which was by the procurement of Miantenemo as it did probably appear, yet in his way homeward he killed him. Fourth, he beat one of Pumham's men and took away his wampum, and then bid him go and complain to the Massachusetts. According to this agreement, the commissioners, at the return to Connecticut, sent for Ancus, and acquainted him therewith, who readily undertook the execution, in taking Miantenema along with him, in the way between Hartford and Windsor, where Ancus hath some men dwell. Ancus's brother, following after Miantenema, clave his head with a hatchet, some English being present and that the Indians might know that the English did approve of it, they sent twelve or fourteen musketeers home with Ancus to abide a time with him for his defense, if need should be. Footnote. The conduct of Massachusetts toward Miantenema seems to students in general ungrateful and cruel. No Indian character of that time is more dignified and engaging. The most powerful of New England chieftains, he was friendly to the newcomers. He resisted the Pequot blandishments in 1636, which saved the colonies from destruction. His treatment of Providence, Rhode Island, in particular, had been kind. Possibly Massachusetts was influenced by his kindness to the outcast Gorton, but no sufficient reason appears why he should have been given over to death. Still, there may have been undercurrents of treachery, and we must not forget that the English hold was then very precarious and remained so until after Philip's war. In footnote. 
Month 6, August. About the 20th of this month, the ships which went with Latour came back safe, not one person missing or sick. But the report of their actions was offensive and grievous to us, for when they drew near to Latour's place, to Alni, having discovered them, set sail with his vessels, being two ships and a pinnace, and stood right home to Port Royal. Ours pursued them, but could not fetch them up, but they ran their ships on ground in the harbor and began to fortify themselves. Whereupon ours sent a boat to D'Alny with the governor's letter and a letter from Captain Hawkins, who by agreement among themselves was commander-in-chief. The messenger who carried the letters, being one who could speak French well, was carried blindfolded into the house, and there kept six or seven hours, and all D'Alny's company applied for their fortifying with palisados, and the friars as busy as any, and encouraging the women, who cried pitifully, telling them that we were infidels and heretics. D'Alny would not open Latour's letter, because he did not style him lieutenant general, etc., but he returned answer to the governor and to Captain Hawkins, and sent him a copy of the arrest against Latour, and showed the original to the messenger, but refused to come to any terms of peace. Upon this Latour urged much to have our men to assault him, but they refused. Then he desired that some of ours might be land with his to do some mischief to D'Alny. Captain Hawkins would send none, but he gave leave to any that would go. Whereupon some thirty of ours went with Latour's men, and were encountered by D'Alny's men, who had fortified themselves by his mill, were beaten out with loss of three of their men, and none slain on our side nor wounded. Only three of Latour's men were wounded. So they set the mill on fire and burnt some standing corn, and retired to their ships with one prisoner whom they took in the mill. D'Alny shot with his ordnance at their boats as they went aboard, but missed them, nor did our ships make one shot at him again, but set sail and went to Latour's fort. While they lay there, D'Alny's pinnace came, supposing he and his ships had still been there, and brought in her four hundred moose skins and four hundred beaver skins. These they took without any resistance and divided them. One-third Latour had, and the pinnace, one-third to the ships, and the other to the men. So they continued there till their time was near expired, and were paid their hire and returned, one ship coming a good time before the other, and the pinnace went up John's River some twenty leads, and loaded with coal. They brought a piece of white marble, whereof there is great shore near his fort, which makes very good lime. Footnote. The English thus became much further involved in the quarrel between the Frenchmen than was intended. In footnote. Month 7, September. The Indians near the Dutch, having killed fifteen men, as is before related, proceeded on and began to set upon the English who dwelt under the Dutch. They came to Mrs. Hutchinson's in way of friendly neighborhood, as they had been accustomed, and taking their opportunity, killed her and Mr. Collins, her son-in-law, who had been kept prisoner in Boston, as is before related, and all her family, and such of Mr. Throckmorton's and Mr. Cornhill's families as were at home, and all sixteen, and put their cattle into their houses, and there burnt them. But by a good providence of God, there was a boat came in at the same instant, to which some women and children fled, and so were saved. But two of the boatmen going up to the houses were shot and killed. Footnote. Here ends a painful tragedy of Anne Hutchinson's life. The location was a point now known as Pelham Neck, near New Rochelle, New York. It is still marked by the local nomenclature, for although the name of Anne's Hawk has disappeared, Hutchinson Creek still perpetuates her memory. In footnote. These people had cast off ordinances and churches, and now at last their own people, and for larger accommodation had subjected themselves to the Dutch and dwelt scatteringly near a mile asunder, and some that escaped, who had removed only for want, as they said, of hay for their cattle, which increased much, now coming back again to Aquaday, they wanted cattle for their grass. 
These Indians having killed and driven away all the English upon the main as far as Stamford, for so far had the Dutch gained possession by the English, they passed on to Long Island and there assaulted the Lady Moody in her house diverse times, for there were forty men gathered thither to defend it. These Indians at the same time set upon the Dutch with an implacable fury, and killed all they could come by, and burnt their houses, and killed their cattle without any resistance. So as the governor and such as escaped betook themselves to their fort at Manhattan, and there lived and eat up their cattle. Fourth, there was an assembly at Cambridge of all the elders in the country, about fifty in all, such of the ruling elders as would were present also, but none else. They sat in the college, and had their diet there after the manners of scholars' commons, but somewhat better, yet so ordered as it came not to above sixpence the meal for a person. Mr. Cotton and Mr. Hooker were chosen moderators. The principal occasion was because some of the elders were about to set up some things according to the presbytery as of Newbury, etc. The assembly concluded against some parts of the presbyterial way, and the Newbury ministers took time to consider the arguments, etc. Footnote. An echo of the dispute between Presbyterianism and the rising independency, which in England had now become acute. In footnote. Upon the complaint of the English of Patuxet near Providence, who had submitted to our jurisdiction, and the two Indian sachems there, of the continual injuries offered them by Gorton and his company, the general court sent for them, by letter only, not in way of command, to come answer the complaints, and sent them letters of safe conduct. But they answered our messengers disdainfully, refused to come, but sent two letters full of blasphemy against the churches and magistracy, and other provoking terms, slighting all we could do against them. So that, having sent three times, and receiving no other answer, we took testimonies against them, both of English and Indians, and determined to proceed with them by force. And because they had told our messengers the last time that if we had anything to say to them, if we would come to them, they would do us justice therein, therefore I wrote to them to this effect, viz. To the end that our justice and moderation might appear to all men, we would condescend so far to them as to send commissioners to hear their answers and allegations, and if thereupon they would give us such satisfaction as should be just, we would leave them in peace. If otherwise, we would proceed by force of arms, and signified withal that we would send a sufficient guard with our commissioners. For seeing they would not trust themselves with us upon our safe conduct, we had no reason to trust ourselves with them upon their bare courtesy. And accordingly we sent the next week Captain George Cook, Lieutenant Atherton, and Edward Johnson, footnote, Cook returning to England became a colonel in Cromwell's army. Atherton at a later time became major general of the colonial forces, and while holding that position was killed by a fall from his horse in 1665. Johnson was the author of the Wonderworking Providence, in footnote. With commission and instructions, the instructions would here be inserted at large, and with them forty soldiers. They came to Providence, and by the way received another letter from Gorton, of the light contents with the former, and told them plainly they were prepared for them, etc. Being come near, they found they had put themselves all into one house, which they had made musket-proof with two flankers. But by the mediation of others of Providence, they came to parley, and then offered to refer their cause to arbitrators, alleging that we were parties, and so not equal judges, so as some of them might be of providence or of aquidae, and offered their cattle for security to abide the order, etc. Our commissioners, through importunity of themselves and others of providence, were content to send to us to know our minds about it. The letter came to us when a committee, appointed by the general court, were met about the tidings of me and Tenema's death. So calling in to us five or six of the elders who were near at hand, we considered of the motion, 
and agreed that it was neither seasonable nor reasonable, neither safe nor honorable for us to accept such a proposition. First, because they would never offer us any terms of peace before we had sent our soldiers. Second, because the ground of it was false, for we were not parties in the case between the Indians and Thumb, but the proper judges, they being all within our jurisdiction by the Indians and English their own grant. Third, they were no state, but a few fugitives living without law or government, and so not honorable for us to join with them in such a course. Fourth, the parties whom they would refer it unto were such as were rejected by us, and all the governments in the country, and besides, not men likely to be equal to us or able to judge of the cause. Fifth, their blasphemous and reviling writings, etc., were not matters fit to be compounded by arbitrament, but to be purged away only by repentance and public satisfaction, or else by public punishment. And lastly, the commission and instructions being given them by the general court, it was not in our power to alter them, so accordingly we wrote to our commissioners to proceed, which accordingly they did, and approached the house, where they had fortified themselves, with trenches so near as they might fire the house, which they attempted two or three times, but they within quenched it. At last three of them escaped out and ran away, and the rest yielded and were brought to Boston, and were committed to the prison. It was a special providence of God that neither any of them nor of ours were slain or hurt, though many shot passed between them, but every man returned safe and hail. See more, page blank. Here wants the beginning which may be supplied out of the record, 64. Other affairs were transacted by the commissioners of the United Colonies, as writing letters to the Swedish governor in Delaware River, concerning the foul injuries offered by him to Mr. Lamberton, and those people whom New Haven had planted there, and also to the Dutch governor about the injuries his agent there had also offered and done to them, as burning down their trading-house, joining with the Swedes against them, etc. But this was inserted in the letter which the general court sent to him in further answer of that which he sent to them, as is expressed here before, in which letter we declared the complaints which had been made by our confederates both of Hartford and New Haven, of their injurious dealings, as well at Hartford and New Haven as at Delaware. Also our opinion of the justice of the cause of Hartford, in respect of title of the land in question between them, which we could not change, except we might see more light than had yet appeared to us by the title the judge insisted upon, nor might we desert either of our confederates in a righteous cause. And we gave also commission to Mr. Lamberton to go treat with the Swedish governor about satisfaction for those injuries and damages, and to agree with him about settling their trade and plantation. This Swedish governor demeaned himself as if he had neither Christian nor moral conscience, getting Mr. Lamberton into his power by feigned and false pretenses, and keeping him prisoner and some of his men, laboring by promises and threats to draw them to accuse him to have conspired with the Indians to cut off the Swedes and Dutch, and not, and not prevailing these ways, then by attempting to make them drunk, so that he might draw something from them, and in the end, though he could gain no testimony, yet he forced him to play blank weight of beaver before he would set him at liberty. He is also a man very furious and passionate, cursing and swearing, and also reviling the English of New Haven as runagates, etc., and himself with his own hands put irons upon one of Mr. Lamberton's men, and went also to the houses of those few families planted there, and forced some of them to swear allegiance to the crown of Sweden, though he had no color of title to that place, and such as would not, he drove away, etc., all these things were clearly proved by Mr. Lamberton's relation, and by other testimony upon oath, but this was before we sent with the commission. Footnote. The settlement of the New Haven men was near the present site of Salem, New Jersey. The story is told by Professor Keene in Windsor's 
Narratives in Critical History, Volume 4, pages 451 to 457, from the reports of Governor Johann Prince and other Swedish sources, in footnote. About this time, our governor received letters from Philip Bell, Esquire, Governor of Barbados, complaining of the distracted condition of that island in regard of diverse sects of families sprung up there, and their turbulent practices, which had forced him to proceed against some of them by banishment, and others of mean quality by whipping, and earnestly desiring us to send them some godly ministers and other good people. The governor imparted the letter to the court and elders, but none of our ministers would go thither, and the governor returned answer accordingly. 8. October 12th. The new sachem of Norangasat, Miantunama's brother called Pesicus, a young man about twenty, sent a present to our governor fees, an otter coat and girdle of wampum, and some other wampum, and all worth about fifteen pounds, and desired peace and friendship with us, and withal that we would not aid Ancus against him, whom he intended to make war upon in revenge of his brother's death. Our governor answered the messengers that we were willing to have peace and friendship with him, and to that end had sent messengers to Canonicus, whom it seemed they met with by the way, but we are desired withal that there might be peace with all Indians also, both Ancus and others, and that we had also sent to Usamakin to that end. Therefore, except their sachem would agree to it, we could not receive his present. They replied that they had no instructions about the matter, but would return back and acquaint their sachem with it, and return to us again, and desired to leave their present with our governor in the meantime, which he agreed unto. 13th. Captain Cook and his company, which were sent out against Gorin, returned to Boston, and the captives, being nine, were brought to the governor's house in a military order, viz., the soldiers being in two files, and after every five or six soldiers a prisoner. So being before his door, the commissioners came in, and after the governor had saluted them, he went forth with them, and passing through the files, welcomed them home, blessing God for preserving and prospering them, and he gave them all thanks for their pains and good carriage, and desired of the captain a list of their names, that the court, etc., might know them, if hereafter there should be occasion to make use of such men. This good acceptance and commendation of their service gave many of them more content than their wages, which yet was very liberal, ten shillings per week, and they to victual themselves, and it is needful in all such commonwealths where the state desires to be served by volunteers. Then, having conferred privately with the commissioners, he caused the prisoners to be brought before him in his hall, which was a great assembly, and there laid before them their contemptuous carriage toward us, and their obstinacy against all the fair means and moderation we had used to reform them and bring them to do right to those of ours whom they had wronged, and how the Lord had now justly delivered them into our hands. They pleaded in their excuse that they were not of our jurisdiction, and that though they had now yielded themselves to come and answer before us, yet they yielded not as prisoners. The governor replied that they were brought to him as taken in war, and so our commissioners had informed, but if they could plead any other quarter or agreement our commissioners had made with them, we must and would perform it, to which they made no answer. So the governor committed them to the marshal to convey to the common prison, and gave order they should be well provided for both lodging and diet. Then he went forth again with the captain, and the soldiers gave him three volleys of shot, and so departed to the inn, where the governor had appointed some refreshing to be provided for them above their wages. The next Lord's Day in the forenoon the prisoners would not come to the meeting, so as the magistrates determined they should be compelled. They agreed to come, so as they might have liberty after sermon to speak, if they had an occasion. The magistrates' answer was that they did leave the ordering of things in the church to the elders, but there is no doubt but they might have leave to speak, so as they spake the words of truth and sobriety. 
So in the afternoon they came and were placed in the fourth seat right before the elders. Mr. Kahn, in his ordinary text, taught them out of Acts 19 of Demetrius pleading for Diana's silver shrines or temples, etc. After sermon, Gorton desired leave to speak, which being granted, he repeated the points of Mr. Cotton's sermon, and coming to that of the silver shrines, he said that in the church there was nothing now but Christ, so that all our ordinances, ministers, sacraments, etc., were but men's inventions for show and pomp, and no other than those silver shrines of Diana. He said also that if Christ lived eternally, then he died eternally, and that it appeared both by his letters and examinations that he held that Christ was incarnate in Adam, and that he was that image of God wherein Adam was created, and that the chief work and merit was in that his incarnation, in that he became such a thing, so mean, etc., and that his being born after of the Virgin Mary and suffering, etc., was but a manifestation of his sufferings, etc., in Adam. Likewise in his letter he condemned and reviled magistracy, calling it an idol, alleging that a man might as well be a slave to his belly as to his own species. Yet being examined, he would acknowledge magistracy to be an ordinance of God in the world as marriage was, viz. No other magistracy but what was natural, as a father over his wife and children, and an hereditary prince over his subjects. When the general court was assembled, Gorton and his company were brought forth upon the lecture day at Boston, and there, before a great assembly, the governor declared the cause and manner of our proceedings against them, and their letters were openly read and all objections answered. As first, that they were not within our jurisdiction. To this was answered, first, that they were either within Plymouth or Mr. Fenwick, footnote, i.e. Saybrook, in footnote, and they had yielded their power to us in this cause. Second, if they were under no jurisdiction, then had we none to complain unto for redress for our injuries, and then we must either right ourselves and our subjects by force of arms, or else we must sit still under all their reproaches and injuries, among which they had sent this insolent passage, quote, we do more disdain that you should send for us to come to you than you could do if we should send for the chiefest among you to come up to us and be employed according to our pleasure in such works as we should appoint you. End quote. As for their opinions, we did not meddle with them for those, otherwise than they had given us occasion by the letters to us, and by their free and open publishing them amongst us, for we wrote to them only about civil controversies between them and our people and gave them no occasion to vent their blasphemies and revilings, etc. And for their title to the Indians' land, we at diverse times desired them to make it appear, but the hours refused, even to our commissioners, whom we sent last to them, and since they were in prison, we offered to send for any witnesses they would desire, but still they refused, so that our title appearing good, and we having now regained our possession, we need not question them any more about that. Their letters being read, they were demanded severally if they would maintain those things which were contained therein. They answered they would, in that sense wherein they wrote them. After this they were brought before the court severally to be examined, diverse of the elders being desired to be present, and because they had said they could give a good interpretation of all they had written, they were examined upon the particular passages. But the interpretation they gave being contradictory to their expressions, they were demanded then if they would retract those expressions, but that they refused, and said still that they should then deny the truth. For instance, in one or two, the letters were directed, one to their neighbors of the Massachusetts, and the other of them to the great honored idol general of the Massachusetts, and by a messenger of their own delivered to our governor, and in many passages in both letters, particularly applied to our courts, our magistrates, our elders, etc., Yet in their examinations about the reproachful passages they answered, that they meant them of the corrupt estate of mankind in general, and not of us, etc. 
So whereas in their letters they impute it to us as an error, that we teach that Christ died actually only when he suffered upon Pontius Pilate, and before only in types, upon their examination they say that their meaning was, that his death was actual to the faith of the fathers under the law, which is in effect no other than we would hold, yet they accounted an error in us, and would not retract that charge. One of the elders had been in the prison with them, and had conferred with them about their opinions, and they expressed their agreement with him in every point, so as he intended to prove for favor for them, but when he heard their answer upon their examination, he found how he had been deluded by them, for they excel the Jesuits in the art of equivocation, and regard not how false they speak to all other men's apprehensions, so they keep to the rules of their own meaning. Gorton maintained that the image of God wherein Adam was created was Christ, and so the loss of that image was the death of Christ, and the restoration of it in regeneration was Christ's resurrection, and so the death of him that was born of the Virgin Mary was but a manifestation of the former. In their letters, etc., they condemned all ordinances in the church, calling baptism an abomination, and the Lord's Supper the juice of a poor silly grape turned into the blood of Christ by the skill of our magicians, etc., Yet upon examination they would say they did allow them to be the ordinances of Christ, but their meaning was that they were to continue no longer than the infancy of the church lasted, and but to novices then, for after the revelation was written they were to cease, for there is no mention of them, say they, in that book. They were all illiterate men, the ablest of them could not write true English, no not common words, yet they would take upon them the interpretation of the most difficult places of scripture, and rest them any way to serve their own turns as to give one instance for many. Mr. Cotton pressing them with that in Acts 10, Who can forbid water why they should not be baptized? So he commanded them to be baptized, they interpret thus. Who can deny but these have been baptized, seeing they have received the Holy Ghost, etc.? So he allowed them to have been baptized. The shift they were put to, that they might maintain their former opinion, that such as have been baptized with the Holy Ghost need not the outward baptism. The court and the elders spent near a day in discovery of Gorton's deep mysteries which we had boasted of in his letters, and to bring him to conviction, but all was in vain. Much pains was also taken with the rest, but to as little effect. They would acknowledge no error or fault in their writings, and yet would seem sometimes to consent with us in the truth. After all these examinations, the court began to consult about their sentence. The judgment of the elders also had been demanded about their blasphemous speeches and opinions, what punishment was due by the word of God. Their answer was first in writing, that if they should maintain them as expressed in their writings, their offense deserved death by the law of God. The same some of them declared after an open court. But before the court would proceed to determine of their sentence, they agreed first upon their charge, and then calling them all publicly, they declared to them what they had to charge them with out of their letter and speeches. Their charge was this, fees. They were charged to be blasphemous enemies of the true religion of our Lord Jesus Christ, and of all his holy ordinances, and likewise of all civil government among his people, and particularly within this jurisdiction. Then they were demanded whether they did acknowledge this charge to be dust, and did submit to it, or what exceptions they had against it. They answered they did not acknowledge it to be just, but they took no particular exceptions to it, but fell into some caviling speeches, so they were returned to prison again. But fell into some caviling speeches, so they were returned into prison again. Being in prison, they behaved insolently towards their keeper, and spake evil of the magistrates. Whereupon some of the magistrates were very earnest to have irons presently put upon them. Others thought it better to forbear all such severity till their sentence were passed. This latter opinion prevailed. 
After diverse means had been used, both in public and private, to reclaim them, and all proving fruitless, the court proceeded to consider of their sentence, in which the court was much divided. All the magistrates save three were of opinion that Gorton ought to die, but the greatest number of the deputies dissenting that vote did not pass. In the end all agreed upon this sentence, for seven of them, these, that they should be dispersed into seven several towns, and there kept to work for their living, and wear irons upon one leg, and not to depart the limits of the town, nor by word or writing maintain any of their blasphemous or wicked errors upon pain of death, only with exception for speech with any of the elders, or any other license by any magistrate to confer with them, this censure to continue during the pleasure of the court. There were three more taken in the house with them, but because they had not their hands to the letters, they were dismissed, two of them upon a small ransom, as captives taken in war, and the third freely, for that he was but in his master's house, etc., a fourth, being found to be an ignorant young man, was only enjoined to abide in Watertown upon pains of the court's displeasure only. At the next court they were all sent away, because we found that they did corrupt some of our people, especially the women, by their heresies. About a week after, we sent men to fetch so many of their cattle as might defray our charges, both of the soldiers and of the court, which spent many days about them and for their expenses in prison. It came to an all about 160 pounds, there were three who escaped out of the house, these being sent for to come in. Two of them did so, and one of them, because his hand was not to the letters, was freely discharged. The other was sent home upon his own bond to appear at the next court. Only some of his cattle were taken towards the charges. There was a fourth who had his hand to the first letter, but he died before his soldiers went, and we left his whole estate to his wife and children. Their arms were all taken from them, and some of the guns the court gave, one fowling piece to Pumham, another to Sacanoco, and the liberty granted them to have powder as being now within our jurisdiction. Footnote. The treatment of Gorton as associates, given in such detail by Winthrop, is also the subject of numerous scattered entries in the Records of Massachusetts, Volume 2, page 51, etc. Though the story is repulsive, the procedure is consistent with Massachusetts custom. The come-outers were severely punished, but their offense was great. The New England magistrates were, quote, just asses, unquote, they declared, and denunciation and contempt were poured out upon what the colonists revered. There was danger that Gorton might secure a numerous following. In England, at last, he had found a tolerance such as New England was not yet ready to grant. In footnote. The Lord Bartmore, being owner of much land near Virginia, being himself a papist, and his brother Mr. Calvert, the governor there, a papist also, but the colony consisted both of Protestants and Papists. He wrote a letter to Captain Gibbons of Boston, and sent him a commission, wherein he made tender of land in Maryland to any of ours that would transport themselves thither, with free liberty of religion, and all other privileges which the place afforded, paying such annual rent as should be agreed upon. But our captain had no mind to further his desire herein, nor had any of our people temptation that way. Footnote. The liberality of Maryland contrasts remarkably with the narrowness of Massachusetts. For consideration of Maryland toleration, see John Fisk, Old Virginia and Her Neighbors, Volume 1, page 319, in footnote. 5th, July 13th. One Captain John Chaddock, son of him that was governor of Bermuda, a godly gentleman, but late removing from them with his family and about a hundred more to Trinidado, where himself and his wife and most of his company died, arrived here in a man-of-war of about a hundred tons, set forth by the Earl of Warwick. He came hither for planters for Tinidado, Mr. Humphrey having told the Earl that he might be supplied from hence, but here was not any that would enter upon that voyage, etc. 
So Latour having a pinnace here at the same time, they hired Captain Chaddock for two months at 200 pounds a month, partly to convey the pinnace home from the danger of Daalney his vessels, and partly for other service against Daalney there. But when they came, they found that Alne had gone into France, and a new fort raised at Port Royal, and a pinnace ready to go forth to trade. So they kept her in so long till the season was over, and it's two months out, then he returned to Boston. When he was come in near the town, his men going up upon the main yard to hand in the sail, the main tie break, and the yard falling down, shook off five men into the sea, and though it were calm and smooth water, yet not having their boat out, three of them were drowned. One of these had taken some things out of the deserted castle as they went out. Notwithstanding the sad accident, yet so soon as they came on shore, they fell to drinking, etc., and that evening, the captain and his master, being at supper and having drank too much, the captain began to speak evil of the country, swearing fearfully that we were a base heathen people. His master answered that he had no reason to say so, for it was the best place that he ever came in. Upon these and other speeches, the captain arose and drew his sword, and the master drew forth his pistol, but the company staying them from doing any mischief, the captain swore blood and wounds he would kill him. For this they were brought before the court, and the captain fined twenty pounds, and committed to the marshal till he gave security for it. The master, for that he was in a drink, as he ingenuously acknowledged, etc., was fined only ten shillings, but was set at liberty from the captain, who had formerly misused other of his men, and was a very proud and intemperate man. But because his ship was the Earl of Warwick's, who had always been forward to do good to our colony, we wrote to him that the fine should be reserved to be at his lordship's disposing, when he should please to command or call for it. See the next page. 10. December 27th. By order of the general court, all the magistrates and the teaching elders of the six nearest churches were appointed to be forever governors of the college, and this day they met at Cambridge and considered of the officers of the college, and chose a treasurer, H. Pelham, Esquire, being the first in that office. This day five ships that sail from Boston, three of them were built here, two of three hundred tons, and the other of one sixty. One of them was bound for London with many passengers, men of chief rank in the country and great store of beaver. Their adventure was very great, considering the doubtful state of the affairs of England, but many prayers of the churches went with them and followed after them. End of section 17